You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, hello. It's good to see you. Good morning. My name is AJ. I I am one of the members of the Reddings Community Group. I also get to serve Pastor Bill on the advisory team along with Steve Martin and Ed McCauley. Uh, We are celebrating Advent this month, and we had a great opening sermon by Mark Cook last week. Mark looked at Luke 2, 8 through 20 from the vantage point of faith, and I will look at the same text from a perspective of hope. We're going to be looking at this text from five different perspectives throughout the Advent series. Uh, When I read the Bible, I look for connections from their world to mine. I look at the settings, I look at the scenes, I look at the players involved, I look at the dialogue, who's in one scene but not in the next, uh, what foreshadowing the writer might be including. And this, this helps me see Jesus more clearly. Often the, his image just jumps up off the page. And when I was studying Luke 2, 8 through 20, I saw eight distinct scenes in the text. Eight changes in either scenery, people, messages, responses, And uh, I even drew them out as if they were storyboards for a short film. They were amazing, stick figures all the way, nothing fancy. (laughs) I sent it to my kids and my wife and uh, just to show them like, look, I I made these storyboards, kind of cute, right? And my wife goes, you're not gonna preach from that, are you? Or present that to the body? I said, no, no, not anymore, geez. (laughs) And so we're gonna look at these eight scenes and from from them, what can we learn from them? What can we be encouraged by them and challenged by them? Ultimately, Jesus was the answer for the people of this story's day and is for our day too. He was their hope, he is our hope. And I believe the Bible when it says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, it says, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again, there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Their culture is different than our own. And discovering those differences can be difficult, but they're still people. There's still similarities that cross over people groups and eras and languages that settle on shared experiences and responses across the millennia. And from what I can see in this text, the people living in Jesus' day needed a savior. And when I look out at our world, I see that we also are a people who need a savior. And gratefully, we have been given good news of great joy that a savior has been born who will bring glory to God and peace on earth. We have been given hope. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to be together as a body, to welcome people coming in from the north returning uh, for the season. Uh, Lord, there's people here that are going to be, uh, that are here maybe for the first time. We're really grateful to have them. Uh, this is a special time for us each week, and I pray it is again today as we look at your word and we see this amazing story that you found necessary to find its way across millennia to us. I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would see ourselves in it. Uh, the timelessness of your message would impact us today, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first scene, scene one, the shepherds. The story of the Messiah's birth, the birth of our Savior continues with, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field 
keeping watch over their flock by night. That's the scene. So it's nighttime, we're out in a field, there's a group of guys doing their job, watching sheep, totally minding their own business, literally and figuratively. Now, shepherds were not a well-respected group in biblical times. In Genesis, we read about Joseph when he was number two in charge of Egypt. He instructs his brothers on how to get a job and find a private place to live in Egypt. And he tells them, hey, when Pharaoh the king asks you, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. Oh, and every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Okay. Uh, in 1 Samuel, we read about David, the youngest of his many brothers, who gets the job of keeping sheep and has to deal with a lot of flack from his family about being a shepherd. Uh, when Samuel comes looking around to anoint a new king of, e of uh, Israel, they, they have this idea of like, well, how could a king come from a shepherd boy? And again, when he's about to confront Goliath, his brother gives him flack, just go back to the sheep. Don't be here, go back. So I, I don't know much about shepherding. I don't enjoy pets or animals in general or specifically. Uh, sheep are known to be impressively stupid. Sheep smell bad, as all animals do. And sheep are constantly in danger from predators and sometimes a danger to themselves. I also don't enjoy camping. So, camping with stupid animals who are in danger to themselves of being eaten by wolves or lions sounds like a terrible job. I can't quite get to the Egyptian perspective of shepherd is an abomination, but I can kind of pick up why this is seen as a bummer job. These men were not high on the social pecking order. They were not influencers. They were not wealthy. They were humble shepherds. Okay, that's scene one. Scene two, we have a new character added, the messenger and the message. The scripture says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The quiet, peaceful night is wildly interrupted by the appearance of an angel, a messenger from God. The glory of the Lord shone all aright them very brightly. All the guys are afraid, which that makes sense. But the angel calms them and presents his message, a message of good news, of great joy, a savior is born. But for the words, a savior was born for you, this Christ, this Messiah, the Lord, to make sense, we need to understand the circumstances of that time. We need to know what they needed a savior from. To start, they live under the rule of Rome. Rome built some impressive roads and other clever engineering feats, uh, but they also erected temples for all of the gods they worshiped, the Pantheon. They enjoyed gladiator arenas and slaves and sexual depravity. Uh, they created the cross as a public torture and execution model. 
Rome is not a culture that inspired a lot of hope. And if that wasn't enough, Rome sets in place over Israel Herod the Great as king. And I think he might have named himself because he is not great. Herod assigned soldiers to murder baby boys less than two years old in an effort to kill baby Jesus. And those soldiers carried out those commands without much incident, except for the weeping that was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more at the hands of Herod. Herod and his kids and his grandkids are all horrible. And they show up in the other gospels in the book of Acts. They're either cutting people's heads off like John the baptizer. They're murdering the apostles and they're accepting worship themselves as if they are God only to be struck down and killed by the true God. Jesus was born into this culture that has so little regard for life. And I would posit our day isn't that much different. Our, po our politics bitterly divided. Our protests often stem from death and then lead to more deaths. There's wars happening all around the world. Across the globe, we are sick physically and mentally, spiritually and emotionally. Addiction runs rampant. But most similar between our age and the age the Savior was born into, most similar, ever-present sin. In general and forever, since the fall of mankind, sin is a malignant disease that infects our minds, our heart, our body. It's a cancer that spreads from us to others, even from parents to their children, as we are all born under this curse. So the need for a savior is clear in their day, and I expect you feel the need today. And this savior, this Messiah was born for us. Jesus is eternal God. He did not need to do this for his sake. He came as a vulnerable baby, neglected by the people of his day for us. He was mistreated, he was mocked and murdered for our sins to save us. And there is hope in this fact. So why did God send an angel to these men, these shepherds? Why send an angel, a messenger from God to, to people so low on the pecking order? Like I would understand if God said, you know what? I want you to declare my, my arrival as savior of mankind to our political leaders, whether blue or red, godly or ungodly, it would make sense if God sent an angel to talk to our president our governor, maybe our mayor. It would make sense if he sent them to talk to our titans of industry, right? Maybe have a sit down with Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, anyone with a rocket really, and just <laughs> explain to them, hey, I'm God, I'm king. I would understand if he sat down with Warren Buffett or a hedge fund manager, someone moving billions of dollars around in our global economy. I would even understand if he sat down with Christian celebrities our big names in the faith, be it theologians or Christian athletes or musicians, each of these types of people would be able to sway and influence the world to accept and believe in the hope of Jesus. Leaning on their own status in the hearts of the people. But instead, 
He went to people most likely forgotten or ignored by their neighbors and community. And I think he does this to show his power and might and love and care. And I think to show I get the glory from this amazing thing. God shows a tendency to start from the bottom up. He took dust from the ground and creates Adam. He took Abraham out of an ungodly people to make a nation and people of his own. He took a shepherd boy and made him king of his people. He took a young, poor woman from an obscure, rural, backwater village and blessed her with a child that would be the savior for all. And he took societal outsiders, shepherds, to be chief evangelists, to be social influencers, to be rich in faith in God. Why a shepherd? The Bible also presents God as a shepherd. Whether our culture acknowledges that that's an okay job, our God sees it as a value. A tender caretaker of people prone to wild bouts of stupidity, people constantly in danger to themselves and others, people who smell bad as all people do, kind of like sheep. And he cares for them, and he protects them, and he leads them to peaceful valleys. He keeps watch over them day and night. So I think he sent this message, this good news of great joy, this hope to shepherds, because they would be trustworthy to share the good news. And in the verses to come, we'll see they didn't disappoint. The angel goes on to explain how the shepherds will know they've seen the hope of man, the savior, the good news of great joy. Go to the city of David and you'll find a baby in a manger. Not a baby in a palace dressed in royal clothes with attendants attending, a baby in a manger. We'll look at this a little closer in a minute, but this is strange. And I would expect the shepherds to be puzzled at this point. The amazement of encountering the angel of God might be wearing off enough for them to, I'm sorry, what, uh, did you say a manger? A baby in a manger. This is the sign for these shepherds. But before that can be witnessed, the messenger, the angel, he, he does a little flex. And, and we hit scene three, the flex, I'll call it. And suddenly, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This isn't the sign. It's just more messengers, which I think shows the weight of the sign about to be witnessed. Suddenly there's a multitude, hundreds of angels, maybe thousands, all singing a song about the shepherds, about us, about this momentous day when our Savior is born. And I love that pleased shows up in their song because it's the idea of favor. And favor has been following us these last few months as we've been in the book of Genesis. The word favor in the Old Testament is often translated as grace in the New Testament. God showed favor to men and women in Genesis. God shows favor for, to us today for it is by grace we have been saved through faith. God has been saving his people by having favor on them from the beginning until now. Another scene shift. There's a decision to see. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds recognize that the angels are not the good news of great joy. The angels are not the savior. They are the news bringers. 
The shepherds wisely didn't get caught up in this amazing display and sit around and talk about it. Which, there's a similar situation like that with the apostles. Uh, Matthew, um, no, not Matthew. I forgot who it was. It's John. Somebody help me out here. Who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Nobody knows? Peter, John, James, and Peter, thank you. So they're sitting up on the mountain and Jesus is changed, almost like to be in his full heavenly glory. And Moses comes and Elijah comes and it's really weird. And then Peter has this brilliant idea, missing the big E on the eye chart and says, hey, let's set up tents. Let's, let's make a memorial here on this mountain for this. And Jesus is like, no, that's, come on, Peter. Which is pretty typical from Jesus to Peter. Come on, Peter. The disciple, or the, the shepherds, they don't, they don't fall into that same trap. They don't sit there and make that ground holy that had angels present. They go see the sign. Instead, they had faith and decided to see for themselves. They aren't depicted as having disbelief requiring more evidence, but faith to see what happened. Scene changes again, as it had been told. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The messengers of God didn't lie. The shepherds found Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger, just what they were told to expect. This is true, this happened, God came in human flesh to save. They see Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And like Mark mentioned last week, this is not normal. The nativity scenes have normalized something that isn't normal and wasn't even normal in Jesus' day. Babies are not set into animal food bowls. This isn't like something in the recent past. Some mother is looking at her sweet baby in the dog bowl and she's like, huh. I wonder if he'd be more comfortable in a bed, maybe with like a mattress cover and he moves around a bit, maybe some bars to kind of keep him from falling off and hurting himself. Like that, that didn't happen. This is a situation where a poor mama has nowhere to place her baby, nowhere to place him so he can sleep, she can recuperate from delivery. She's forced to travel pregnant for the census. She has no place in the inn. No one made room for her. No one thought to imposition themselves on behalf of her and this impending baby. She made do with what she had and she placed Jesus in the manger. Why is this a sign? I think it showcases a picture of condescension. Our God condescends to us. He doesn't sit over us and act superior to us, though he definitely is. He comes down to our undignified level to connect with us. In Jesus, he waves all privileges of rank and position. Out of eternity, our God enters time. Out of power and might, our God enters vulnerability and need. Out of his rich heavenly home, our God enters a poor, inhospitable space outside of the inn. And out of the throne room of heaven, our God enters a manger. This is true. This happened. God came in the flesh to save. This next scene is a response to all of this. Evangelists. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. When the shepherds saw the child, the king, the savior, the Christ, the Messiah, they became evangelists. And who were they evangelizing? Pretty much everybody. Their family, their friends, their co-workers. They were telling everybody. And this holiday season, one we're in right now, it's a little tricky with family and friends coming and going across the country. And there's a lot of anxiety surrounding these comings and goings. Uh, these relationships that we kind of have to pick up every six to eight months, it, it's, that's peculiar. We set them down for a large, large part of the year and pick them up at this season. And some of that anxiety stems from past discussions that went sideways, offensive words that were spoken or opinions expressed that were not appreciated. And so I'm fine with religion being a taboo subject around the holidays, uh, along with, uh, what are they, politics maybe, money, things you're just not supposed to talk about around the Thanksgiving table right before you open presents. You're not supposed to do that. I'm okay with that. There's no need to needlessly offend gathered friends and family, but I want to clarify this. What you and I are looking at today is not religion. We're not talking religion. We're not talking do's and don'ts, merit-based righteousness. We're talking good news of great joy for all people. A savior has come to save us from this world and to this world. I'll say that again. A savior has come to save us from this world and to this world. If that isn't a tableside discussion, an open and available topic, then what is appropriate? I want to encourage you to speak boldly and amazedly about what you know of our God, what you've seen him do in your lives. The shepherds were saved this day. They saw their savior. They were saved from this world that would put a baby in a feeding bowl and leave a pregnant woman out in the garage. They were saved from the weeping in Rama that they would hear within the next two years. They were saved from an oppressive ruler. They were saved from their own curse of sin, but they were also saved to this same world. They went out as evangelists and shared the good news of great joy so that others might be saved, others might have hope for this world. They added missionary to their job description and I would encourage each of you to do the same. To you retired folks, be the missionaries that everyone on your street knows. When you're seated with strangers on the cruises you're on, tell them about your friend and Lord Jesus. You have so much time and wisdom and resources and that special quality of no longer caring what people think of you. <laughs> Use that for the sake of the gospel. To you moms and dads, take this message to your kiddos. You don't need to know all the answers. You can learn right alongside your kiddos. And to the student, believe in Jesus. And your passion will come out as you share with your teachers and your professors, your fellow students, what you're learning about him. Your energy is contagious and it's inspiring. Don't be muted. And to the young adult, be missionaries as you learn your job duties. Do it as young men and women that work for the Lord and not for man. Pray for your coworkers. Talk to them about what God is teaching you. Remember, you were saved from this world, but you were also saved to this world. I want all of you to consider your mission field. 
to consider who should hear the good news of great joy from your experience and your knowledge? Yes, there are people supernaturally gifted to be evangelists. That's true. But that doesn't remove the responsibility and joy each of us have in sharing the good news. And the number of missionaries that have been eaten by the people with whom they've shared the gospel is quite small in the grand scheme of things. I recognize that fear of rejection can be huge in our minds, but the realities are that the likelihood of strong opposition is quite small. Let's not allow the fear of a possibility outweigh the joy we'd have if a family member, a coworker, a neighbor came to faith in Jesus. Risk it. The last two scenes I see here in this text, they're, they're more like after the main story arc has concluded, but before the movie credits roll. I see them as epilogues. So the camera view, it comes to kind of a pinpoint on the shepherds evangelizing and everyone responding in awe and, and then it opens up on Mary, scene seven, epilogue one. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. The shepherds have left, the excitement they brought telling her of the angels and the good news they heard is dying down. Jesus is probably fed and sleeping. Joseph is probably getting stuff squared away so they can go down for the night as well. Mary's deep in thought about what all this means and how it connects to the promises of the Lord that she received about this baby. I don't know how Mary communicated God's purpose to Jesus. I don't know how she raised him in the faith, but as he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men, I can see Mary retelling the story of the many people she interacted with when she was a baby. People that were told, you will not die until you see the Savior. What a weird life. Is it today, Lord? Is it today, Lord? And the guy was old. Uh, people living in the temple come out and prophesy over Jesus. The shepherds, the, the magi, the, the hunt for her baby from King Herod. I mean, she's retelling these things to Jesus. And I can see her sharing their belief and their hope and love for him. And I would expect he became to identify, came to identify and be encouraged by the hope he brought to the people around him as, as kind of confirmation of his duty and needed accomplishment upon the cross. I don't know how she did that, but I do know from this text and others that she stored these things up in her heart. She captured them for remembrance later. Maybe she kept a mental journal of all the amazing things she witnessed of the Lord. And I would encourage you to do so as well. Recap your years, your highs, your lows, your answered prayers, your unanswered prayers. Store up the treasures of the Lord. We are people who so easily forget. Take time to remind yourself of what God has done in your life. I promise you're going to be blessed in times of doubt and struggle with a renewed hope in God. This is the first epilogue, and the screen again slowly blurs on Mary with Jesus and cuts to focus in on the shepherds. Scene eight, epilogue two. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. The shepherds will never be the same. 
They encountered angels and their God. But it's interesting that they returned, I I believe, to the flocks of sheep, to their jobs, their responsibilities. It seems that they returned to obscurity at the edge of society. There's no mention of these people again in scriptures. But they were changed when they believed in the hope from God, the Christ, the Messiah. They were changed when they shared the good news with others and saw those people wonder at it. And their response to all of this was glorifying God and praising God. And my hope is that we would each remember the times with the Lord that were powerful and meaningful. For some, it's the first moment you met Jesus as your savior. For others, it's specific moments of meaning with the Lord or insights and understanding gained as you studied his word or sweet conversations with people about how good our God is. It's amazing that any are saved from this world as we are so clearly sinners. And it's amazing that there can be so much ordinary time in between the astounding times with the Lord. Hopefully we can see connections from our world to to theirs. We can see ourselves in the text, our failures, our obstacles, our sin. Jesus was the answer for people in the shepherd's day and ours too. People living in Jesus' day, they needed a savior and we do too. And we have so many opportunities to share the good news with others. May we be emboldened to take them. Even in this holiday season, Because the same good news of great joy that a savior has been born who will bring glory to God and peace on earth that changes lives then still changes lives today.